Morning, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hope everybody had a great, great week. Um, although, guys, it probably is one of the harder weeks we've had to 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 stomach here lately. Uh, and I say that because obviously the Supreme Court of the United States been very, very busy, very, very busy. And I've heard from many of you about uh, a couple of the rulings that came down last week, and uh, you know, obviously the the threat on affirmative action here, uh, where uh, it's pretty milestone um, ruling that that changes history and changes the way uh, our universities and colleges uh, will look at um, applicants. Um, I don't think it will eliminate um, the opportunity for African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans to represent themselves in in, in college uh, classes. But they certainly going to have to get more creative because what was there before is no longer there. It was called affirmative action. We also obviously they um, they also ruled on something dealing with student loan forgiveness that really set the president, President Biden's uh, idea um, and his concept back uh, and back into formation. I mean, he's got to now figure out um, how he uh, how he makes his executive order actually work now uh, because the Supreme Court pretty much said you can't do that. So uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, and then there's a lot to talk about at home. And uh, to do that, I, I wanted to bring on our new state representative, y'all from District 8. Y'all have heard about him. His, his, I mean, listen, there's not many people named Gallup. <laughs> so so he's not an unfamiliar name uh, from our area. Uh, and, and so, you know, Gallup Franklin and his family. Uh, but Gallup was elected uh, last cycle to District 8, the House of Representatives, and he he has finished a term <laughs> in the legislature. And if you're paying attention, it was not an easy time uh, to come into the legislature, especially as a Democrat, because uh, as we said on this show many times, um, Democrats are in a super minority where uh, the Republicans don't have to. Well, they don't have to ask their permission. <laughs> but they do have to hear from him. And we got to hear from uh, Representative Franklin quite a bit. But we wanted to hear from him here on the Sean Pittman Show. So, Representative, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us, Sean. Great, great to be here. Man, I feel old in this time. <laughs> I remember you as student body president over at Florida A&M University some time ago. And, and here you are now as a state representative. Not only that, you're professional you're a doctor a pharmacist uh doctor of pharmacy yeah, of yes, pharmacy yes, and um you've got a wife you 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 know you're doing the grown-up thing man <laughs> a little bit a little bit i always tell the joke when people bring up me being student body president 
always say it's back when uh, dinosaurs roamed the earth. It feels like it was just such a such a long time ago. But yeah, Sean, I feel like I've known you almost half of my life, you know, so it, it's always been a dear friend. It's been a while and you're, you're you know, you've always been impressive from day one. And I tell you, I, I when people ask me about being student body president, you know, I always get offended now because I'm like, well, dang, I ain't do nothing else. <laughs> it's been 100 years and you're still introducing me as a former student body president at Florida State. But you don't get that because you've done so much more. And now you're sitting in the House of Representatives. And, and of course, I, I do want to ask you what that's like, you know, being in a super... Um, being a super minority. But first, I, I start to show off talking about um, these rulings from Supreme Court last week. Uh, and listen, I don't ever take for granted what anybody feels about these issues anymore. We're all different people and uh, we all have our point of view on these issues. But it, it certainly sent um, shockwaves throughout the black community, our community, to see that. Uh, Affirmative action isn't that safe anymore. No, you're, you're spot on. I can even remember when I was a kid when, you know, Jeb Bush led the effort here in Florida for affirmative action to be no more. And we, we all know, you know, we, we hear uh, the rhetoric about the importance of merit. And, and of course, you know, if we were consistent across the board with merit, that does make perfect sense. But there's some realities that we have to be understanding of, which is one, you know, the court didn't strike down that you can get into a school like this just because your parent did. You know, that's that's not, I would consider, not a fair shake for Americans. Also, the court did not strike down that if your mom or dad donated $50 million to a university, that also can be considered um, an admissions process. And so, what you really find is they there there's this rhetoric around merit, but the truth of the matter is, you know, people are looking at this world as a pie, and they think as I get a piece, I take that piece away from you. And I think we have to have a different perspective and look at how do we grow the pie, right? So it's not that I'm taking the slice away from you, but how do we grow the pie? So we even look at disparities in our communities. We don't have enough physicians. We don't have enough dentists to serve our communities. And so why are we trying to fight over space in order to have enough people competent enough to deliver critical services to our communities? Yeah, I tell you, man, I you hit on exactly, I think, the crux of the issue where the rubber meets the road. There's affirmative action in so many different ways where somebody got accepted because they represent something they know somebody they're connected in some way um their legacy in some way and all of these things a lot of these things seem to be okay not on the chopping block but because we're trying to change 400 years of oppression and i like to liken it to you know everybody else started to race and went around the track 400 times then we started to race and we've been asked to catch up without them slowing down Right. Or without um, these things like affirmative action to to get us in the game on somewhat of a level playing field that allows us to then our talents and our interest in our, in, in our work ethic to help level help us help ourselves. And I tell you, uh, Representative, it, I, I wish we could jump a year or two years from now because I want to see what happens at Harvard. I want to see if these Asian Americans that filed this lawsuit 
saying that as you just really <laughs> fashionably articulated that they're not getting in because somebody else is getting in. I want to see if this changes that for them. What I'm afraid of for them is they didn't help themselves. They probably help other people who are already very fortunate and already been able to enjoy this. What are your thoughts? No, I think those are good points. And I think there's also ways around that. You know, if we're really looking at the importance of serving underrepresented communities, if I'm over at admissions council, I'm going to look at if you're a first time in college student. Right? Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm going to look at what zip code did you graduate from high school? So that that really gives me into play your socioeconomic status. And the truth is, of the matter is people always have, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I, I'm getting a, a MBA right now from Cornell. And I might have got in or from I don't know. I might have got in for affirmative action, to be honest. Even my my grades are above the class average all the time. Um, but oftentimes people say, well, you know, did this minority get in because of merit or because of the color skin? My question is, well, if we get there, we can compete and do well and be successful. Even if my test grades might not have been the same, it means that the metrics that we're using truly aren't fair. They don't they don't make sense because right, if I can get in right. and, and compete and do better than the average of the class. That means the metrics you're using um, don't make sense. And so a lot of times, you know, it happens at the FCAT or FSA level. People that write those exams you know, might come from certain communities. And so growing up, Sean, I didn't know what a saucer was, a little small plate. Yep, you know? and yep, so now yep. you throw that on my third grade, you know, FCAT exam. I, I just get the whole question wrong because I don't know what a saucer is, you know, or maybe I don't know what a birdie is on a golf course. And so we have to really look at, you know, who's writing these exams and kind of how culturally they're being written that might make it disadvantaged to minorities where it seems like affirmative actions about letting someone in not as good. But the truth of the matter is the type of metrics you're using to measure talent, I think we need to take a harder look at. Well, that's an interesting concept. And I, I you know, you you have a bully pulpit, so I know you'll be you'll be talking about some of that. And, you know, I got to tell you, we went through a lot in Florida, uh, Florida. Um, led the way uh, for a lot of issues that um, really are, are the apex of these cultural wars. Uh, they've been labeled that way anyway. And you had a front row seat. <laughs> uh, you had a front row seat. On the floor seat. And, and, and well, yeah, you're in the back. You're in the back row. But you know what I mean. <laughs> um, and before I get to what I think is really special about the district you represent, this was your first year. Anything shock you? You know, Sean, my whole life, I always go into things without expectation. And so I just try to go and do the best that I can and, and take it for what it is and, and be accepting of what it is. Right. So I didn't have any any surprises, I would say. Um, nothing that really completely shocked me outside of just, you know, what what just happens in life. Right. So um, it is it is. I would say I was hoping that the process was more representative of what you think it is, which means you get elected and that gives you the ability to advocate on behalf of your constituents. And what I noticed was that it's very top heavy, you know, on both sides. It's top heavy on the conservative side. GOP is top heavy on the Democratic side. And there's times where leadership on both sides are trying to whip votes into a space that makes the most sense for the next election or, or the political party. And so, you know, I've always been a, a rebel. You know that. You've, yeah, you've been yeah. around. And so I, I don't do well with um, falling in line, I would say. You know, I've always been an independent thinker. Yeah. Um, I, and, and, and you're right. I do know that. And I've appreciated that. Is there any one thing that the legislature passed this time, though, that you just sort of it just that you just wish 
had gone a different way. Yeah, there's 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 quite a few. Bills. I'm sure there's a few, but yeah, I know we ain't have much time, so I figure, I figure yeah. but but one or two. No, for sure. The top of my list would be abortion. You know, I I, the I don't six week ban, the, the six week the ban, six sure. week ban. You know, I, I stood up and provided an amendment where they were saying that you know you have to get two providers to diagnose a fatal fetal abnormality in order to have it as an exception to have it beyond six weeks. And as I was doing my research, Sean, I, I noticed that, you know, physicians diagnose that correct 100% of the time, right? So why do you need two to make that diagnosis? And so there was just simple stuff like that where they were still pushing back on those kind of common sense, you know, type of approaches. And, I, you know, Sean, I'm not saying that abortion should happen at 24 weeks. I'm not saying that at all. But what I do know for a fact is that six weeks was certainly, without a doubt, just too far. So that's one thing that was just tough. Yeah, that was very tough. And now Florida is uh, one of the tightest restrictions that aren't completely uh, banned. Uh, and uh, and we, you know, last year before you got to the legislature, voted on 15, 15 weeks. weeks. Yeah. And that's and, held up in court right now. And, yeah. So, so interesting time. Let's talk a little bit about your service, though, because even being a, a, a super minority, you know, you you showed up. You showed up uh, this first time and you, you brought things home. I thought, I think a little bit over $13 million uh, in the budget, which is huge. Um, you represent part of Leon, but you represent part of Gaston as well. And, you know, we talk about Gaston a lot here because it deserves to be talked about. And it's the only, you know, majority minority community, black community in the state of Florida. So it makes it, it makes it pretty special in, in my eyes. And, and, you know, great people there trying to do amazing things, but nobody can do it alone. Um, obviously, I know they work hard trying to to, to help you help them. Um, but talk to us a little bit. They, they talk about economic development all the time there, and I just I just wonder what does what does that mean today for Gaston County, and and is it something that the legislature can really lean into and help? Yeah, absolutely. And we're already doing that. And, and you know this, that economic development happens from a regional perspective, right? You know, people think it's just a neighborhood or a city. We have to really plan that out and think about it regionally. And, and Gaston County has a lot of, you know, gems in the area. So much land that's beautiful and, and prosperous. In addition, they've got quite a few, four I-10, you know, um, stops there. And so, you know, Tallahassee only has like two or three, <laughs> right? Three, I believe. They have more than us. And so really being able to invest and infrastructure and, and having areas and land what we call pad ready, which means that you have the infrastructure in place where now you can go out and recruit the larger companies that have good, good paying jobs. And the reason why economic development to me, I think is important, not just in this region, but even statewide is because we really need to focus on diversifying our economy here. You know, just being based on just one like tourism um, can be very hurtful. I mean, you know, diversification is just very, very important. And then I believe, you know, it's important that in Florida we keep our, you know, our tax base kind of consistent. So I don't think we should continue to just keep raising taxes and raising taxes. But if we diversify the economy and grow, then you can also increase revenue, right? And then on top of that, you can really attack what I would consider poverty. And so then when you can attack poverty, you focus on education, then also you're going to really deal with crime. And so Gaston County um, is a gem. Um, there's so much promise there. We really got to focus on economic development and also educational opportunities for, for the individuals out there. Yes, very, very well said. And um, and of course, 
they know where you are. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and there's no shortage of them knocking on your door saying, you know, we need this help. We need these resources. So let's talk about the resources a little bit. I mean, you brought home about $13 million uh, to, to, you know, benefit residents across the the, the span of your of um, of your district. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how that thirteen minute million dollars is going to benefit the district and the folks there. Absolutely. So we have some infrastructure stuff, just like something as simple as septic to sewer. You know, we got about three million dollars for Midway for their conversion from septic to sewer. We also invested in youth programs. We've got about seven hundred thousand for AMI Kids, another three point six million to build a new facility for the Boys and Girls Club out there. You know, and so what our focus has been, and, and there's a lot more on the list, but what our focus has been is really focusing on infrastructure, youth support programs, as well as education. And so uh, we, we did projects for the city of Havana as well, some utility upgrades. Um, we did get a veto. We, we, we did get a veto for an EOC, emergency operations building that we were hoping for that we had. We got vetoed out in, in Gretna as well. Um, but you should try that one again. <laughs> we are. Yeah. We are. And I think yeah. we, can, we can get it done um, this, this next session. A lot of the dollars are really investing in infrastructure, investing in youth support programs to really try to curve crime, help make sure they have resources to help kids after school and, and to be able to make those gains on this FSA test to be able to go into college and maybe trade schools one day. Yeah. Rattlers, I'm talking to Gallup Franklin, uh, Representative Gallup Franklin, uh, one of your former student body presidents, actually. <laughs> and uh, uh, not the last thing he's done like y'all do to me. But anyway, uh, talk to us about Florida A&M, though. Yeah, Fifty five yeah. million dollars yes, yes, uh, in infrastructure projects. Yeah, we, we went in there very strategically. I would call that a strike. Yes, sir. And a strike. <laughs> and a strike again. Um, and what's what we're really proud of, too, is is one we're able to help secure $10 million for something called operational enhancement funds. And so that really gives, and it's recurring too, so the president can use that as he sees fit. And what the goal is, you know, we're really trying to get FAMU to be in the top 100 of all public institutions. And I go through the whole capital, and, and, I, and I always talk about, we don't want to just be the top, you know, black public institution, which we are now, as you know, but just the top in, in period, private or public. And that's going to take a lot of investment, you know. And so even though we, we have this affirmative action conversation about, you know, how people can be admitted to colleges, I think the other side of that where I'm putting pressure on the legislature is we have to make sure we are investing in communities to ensure that communities aren't coming out and wanting to do crime instead of be successful. And so we got another $13.6 million for Howard Hall. Uh, Howard Hall has to do with ROTC buildings. So we got that fully funded for fully renovation as well. We also got about $9.2 million for some, some research labs. And that's important, as you know, uh, last year we broke a record, about $75 million in research at VMU. And that's a big deal. When you that's talk a about, huge bill. You know, yeah. bill. So those research labs helps us recruit and retain some of the best and brightest researchers. And, and, and so people understand, I mean, if you're a, a top researcher out there, you want the best facilities. You're, it, it, it's like if you're an athlete, yep. top athlete yep. getting ready to go to a school. It's the reason why Alabama and Clemson and Oregon, even Oregon, spend tons of money uh, on facilities. It's, it's why FSU just decided to build football only facility because, you know, they're going to spend $100 million to do that because when kids come, they see the facilities, they fall in love. It's the same thing with researchers and academicians. They want 
the best labs, the best facilities to be able to do their work. Um, it's, it's just amazing. And I'll tell you, we're talking about HBCUs and it's crazy because we just earlier you were talking about affirmative action. Yeah. How, how does how does that ruling uh, impact HBCUs moving forward? So we never really had a challenge at a I went to FAMU as well when it had to do with, you know, diversity and making sure admissions were kind of fair and, and across the board. Um, so I don't see the impact. I do think we're going to see more enrollment. I, I do think you're going to see some of those top students, even top athletes. You know, even Deion Sanders kind of tried to start the trend where they're going to look at, you know, going to black colleges and having a good talent at black colleges. And so um, we've always had really bright students at FAMU. I mean, as you, you know, like our freshman GPA right now might be like a 3.98 that's applied to wow. FAMU. Wow. Right? So yeah. they do really, really well. But I think we'll have even more applicants um, within those pools that people know. I'm like, you know what? I want to go get that experience. And there's studies that show, you know, minorities that, that go to black colleges oftentimes can be more successful over time in comparison to other people. I think that's because you get a level of confidence. You're around people that's more nurturing and supportive. And it really helps you really build skills in more of, a, I guess you can say, a protective environment before you're out there with, as you know, you know, the, the world. And yeah. So um, I don't see it being a negative impact at all. Sure, sure. So you're a doctor of pharmacy. You overnight became the healthcare expert in the Democratic caucus, yeah. if not the legislature, the whole legislature. Uh, talk to us about your wide range of, of focus and experience and interests on healthcare and how and what needs to be done for the folks you represent. Uh, as it relates to that, I mean, I know you had a couple bills that moved through the process. Uh, talk to just in, in general. Talk, I'm not going to ask you a specific question about it, but 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 tell us what when when you think about healthcare overall, what is it your district needs to see more of or less of in order that you would feel like your representation was was uh, well a good thing? No, absolutely. Two places off the top of my head. One has to do with mental health. Um, that's a grave concern, and we did work with Appalachia Center. We got about $10 million for some mental health beds out there at the Chattahoochee Center to be helpful with that. But then also people need coverage. You know, oftentimes mm. just, just you know, insurance is, is expensive. Sure. If you make $1 more, um, you're, you're in that gap, right? And so you can't even get Medicaid. And so looking at expanding Medicaid, and I look, I'm looking at running a bill this upcoming session to try to expand it at least into the mental health space to cover that. Um, but we did work on some stuff this session that had to do with kid care. You know, um, as you know, kid care, for example, you might be paying 15 bucks a month per child. You might can make $1 more per month and go from 15 per month to 250 per month that you're paying. And so we made it more of like a sliding scale. You can kind of take that raise as a mother and still, you know, pay a little bit more at a whole lot more for your kid care. That's important. We also increase the reimbursement rates of Medicaid for pediatrics. Um, and that's key and essential because, as you know, you might can have coverage, but if nobody takes your coverage, it's like if no one takes your credit card, guess what? You out of luck, right? Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of physicians, because there's a shortage of physicians, won't take Medicaid because they claim they lose money on it. You have to have a margin for your mission. So I think, you know, us being able to increase those Medicaid reimbursement rates for pediatrics, we should see some some gains within ensuring that young kids do can stay healthy, stay healthy. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. I I, I want to my last question to you. And then I, 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 I just I want to jump to 
you know, we talked a little bit about politics and some of the things that were done. We know the state um, did some incredible work in <laughs> in drawing out Democrats in congressional <laughs> races uh, yeah. here recently. It impacted one of our own. Yeah. Think your cousin, yeah. Um, yeah. Al Lawson. Yeah. And uh, we saw Alabama just strike something down there. Yeah. Uh, are there any messages that Florida should should take uh, from what we just learned in Alabama? No, absolutely. And at the Alabama level, they took that to the Supreme Court in the United yes. States, right? Yes. They came back and said, don't just put back one, but create a second one. And Louisiana is in that same conversation. They might have to put back one plus create a second one. And so at the Florida Supreme Court level, they might want to pay attention and to see like, well, obviously this goes all the way. We might have to not just replace before they took away, but, you know, the, also the Hispanic districts, but have to also add more. And so I do believe we'll get a few seats back for sure. And one of those most likely being the one that we had based out of Tallahassee between here and Jacksonville. Wow. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, listen, sir. man, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, and and congratulations uh, on, on everything. Well, and, and I know, and I'll say this to listeners out there, you know, I get to see these guys, these guys and these girls, these women, these men, I, I get to see them do their thing. You all, all of you don't get to see them do their thing. You can, because it's accessible. <laughs> but, but you know, who's who's gonna watch them instead of watching Bravo, right? Or, <laughs> or your bet, or your football game, or whatever, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Who's gonna do that? I do it for you. But I would say this to you: you ought to see them at work, because you'll learn a lot about what they do every single day. And then when they get ready to run again, they don't have to tell you what they did. You already know that. They're there fighting. They're there fighting. And I saw you do a lot of fighting. So, really, man, thank you for coming on the show. And and please come back over and over again. And uh, listeners, Gallup Franklin, representative, uh, he's in the studio with us today. You know, we we usually use the phone quite a bit. Uh, That's my fault because I don't don't really like... I don't really like hang out with people all the time. <laughs> all right, I'm joking. Listen, uh, stay with us for a short Pittman point right after this. You're listening to the Sean Pittman Show. When the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. Time for Pittman's Point on 96.1 Jams. Welcome back to the show, y'all. On Thursday, as we said early in the show, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled to end affirmative action from the college admissions process. This decision is based on the idea that we live in a post-racial society, and y'all, we just simply don't. In reality, this ruling is another erosion to an uh, to an equitable society, another setback for states like Florida, uh, and an attempt to create a permanent underclass. The attack on affirmative action fails to to take into account that racial inequities in this country have mass dispersion uh, on the impact of black students. Even if you're from Prince George's County in Maryland, y'all, by the way, the wealthiest majority black county in America. There are inherent differences due to systemic racism that set uh, your perspective back from our majority counterparts and have a disproportionate impact on black students' lives. What's been consistent uh, on the debate of race-conscious policy is that only focusing on black people as the beneficiaries of affirmative action is a very interesting but strategic move, right? It ignores just how many other groups have benefited from it 
and it plays into stereotypes of black people getting advantages that they don't really deserve. Nine states, y'all, nine, already have banned affirmative action. Started with California back in the 90s. As a result of California's ban, minority enrollment in California uh, dropped 50%. 50%, y'all. In other words, ending affirmative action means losing educational opportunities, not being considered for jobs, and everyone overall missing the benefits of diversity. Everyone, white students, get, they benefit from diversity. So this, it, 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 it plays into everyone overall missing the benefits of diversity and the brilliance of diverse minds all in one place. The bottom line is this. This is what happens, y'all, when you don't vote. This defeat is on the back of all the people who decided not to show up and vote for Hillary Clinton. And you allowed Donald Trump to be elected. And guess what? When he got elected, he appointed a court that would eliminate affirmative action. And you know what else? Roe v. Wade. So the pit my point today is just vote. Just vote. The voting gap across demographic lines has become a self-inflicted wound that hurts all black and brown people because it makes it harder to elect candidates who believe what you believe. Candidates who are committed to fighting for affirmative action, racial justice, reproductive rights, affordable housing, education uh, equity, small business creation, and other goals uh, to create a more equitable society. And y'all, the kind of goals and achievements that'll get us around that track and have us catching up to that those 400 laps. That's what you sacrifice. The voting gap has weakened the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It's gutted affirmative action and devastated a woman's right to full-range reproductive health care. Your vote matters, and it is your responsibility to participate in the electoral process. And, y'all, in politics, because there's politics in everything. So let this be enough, y'all. Make your voice heard. The Pittman point today is vote. This is Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you. In seven. This is the Sean Pittman Show on 96.1 Jams, Tallahassee's big station. We got this.